My name is Grace Benson, and I'm graduating from Newton High School, and next year I'll be going to Central to study pre-law. My name is Braden Chance, graduating from Newton High School, and next year I'm getting an apprenticeship at Van Monen Electric. My name is Kelsey Church. I'm graduating from Newton High School. Next year I plan to attend to Falls College and major in elementary education. My name is Lauren Dunsbergen. I graduated from Pelican High School. Next year I'll be going to Dort University to major in business management and marketing. Hello, my name is Maggie Garrett, and I'll be graduating from Newton High School, and next year I plan to study nursing at Ankeny DMAC. Only help me, man. Yeah. All right, what's your name? Caden. Caden? And where are you graduating from? Newton High School. Newton High School. And what are your plans after high school? Played off my dad. Absolutely. Sounds good. Congratulations, man. Oh, here, Maggie. There you go, buddy. I'm Paige Lauterbaugh, and I'm graduating from Pella Christian High School, and I plan to attend Bob Jones University for nursing. My name is Jackson Mace Maynard. Um, I'm graduating from Newton High School, and next year I am attending the United States Air Force Academy to run cross-country and track and major in biology. My name is Caleb Ness. I am graduating from Ness Family Academy, homeschool. And this next year I plan to attend Emmaus Bible College for pastoral ministry. My name is Ryan Nook. I'm a graduating Newton High School, and uh, next year I will be attending Iowa State University to study mechanical engineering. My name is Laura Sander. I'm graduating from Newton High School, and next year I'll be attending Cornell College to study pre-law. My name is Callie Van Clay, and I'm graduating from Newton High School. Next year, I will be attending Northwestern College to study pre-med. Again, thank you all for being here this morning, for celebrating with us. I now want to invite you guys to uh, continue standing, or you guys who sat down, stand up as we uh, sing praises to our Lord. Good morning, and welcome again to Community Heights. It's good to have you here. As I look around, I see family and friends. I see old people. I mean old in that you've been coming for a long time and, and then newer people. So welcome. It's really good to have you here. And congratulations to our graduates this morning. I don't think are, are everyone who's here, what do we got? Uh, we've got nine on the front row. And uh, if you've looked through this, there's one of these on the table as you go out. If you need to get one, uh, this is a fantastic way to get to know all these graduates, and to have it as a remembrance, a keepsake in your files for the future. I remember some years ago looking at this 1930s uh, cartoon. So graduates, this is for you, okay? It was a baby Huey, 
cartoon, 1930s, right? And Mrs. Huey got a note from the teacher. And Baby Huey brought it back. You don't remember Baby Huey, but some of you will remember Baby Huey. And here's what the note said. Dear Mrs. Huey, your son is a big dope. Signed, whatever the name of the teacher was. That would D-O-P-E. Your son is a big dope. Now, so your goal in life, right, now that you're graduated, is not to be a big dope, right? That's your goal in life, right? So as I looked at Colossians chapter 2, I thought of this because it talks about the wisdom of God and how Satan wants to dupe us. And if you happen to get a handout on your way in, you'd see that it says at the top, it says graduates, it addresses graduates, and then everyone else, and everyone else, because this passage in Colossians chapter 2 is for us. If we're alive and breathing and living in this culture that we live in right now, this is a challenge for us because I hate to talk about Satan. I mean, we're in church. But there's the forces of darkness in our world led by the devil. And his goal is to deceive us, to dupe us, to distract us away from what God wants us to do. And I would think, particularly for uh, graduates who are just getting started, he would like to slip you up and trip you up and have you go in a direction other than the direction that God has for your life. So this, um, this message that I have this morning is for you guys here in the front row. Uh, and I remember, get this, 42 years ago I was in your seat. I remember it was hot. There was no, of course, no air conditioning right back then, back in the dark ages. And the gown was, it was so heavy, it was hot, and they got the hat on, keeping all the heat in your head. But I remember what the guy preached on. Some Baptist pastor from somewhere in western New York. He preached on a verse in Proverbs that says, buy the truth and sell it not. That's the only thing I remember about the message. But he just kept driving it home. Buy the truth, buy the truth, buy the truth. The truth of God's word. Buy the truth and don't sell it. So my only hope, probably what you're going to remember in 42 years is baby Huey, right? That's probably what you're going to remember. But I hope not. I hope that you remember that I spoke to you this morning from Colossians chapter 2. But on the handout, I asked some questions. I said, where does your identity come from? Where does your identity come from? When somebody asks you who you are, who are you? How do you identify yourself? Out of what, from what does your identity come? And then who are you and whose are you? And then are you significant and do you matter? And everybody wants to, wants to know that they're significant and that they matter. Everybody wants to matter. And then will you search for fulfillment and significance through things like performance and prestige and your, your position, your power, your possessions by what you have? Where do we get our significance from? Where do we get our importance from? And for you guys that are just starting out, I mean, you've got this thing, right? You know what you're doing. You got it. You know where you're going. You're going to achieve, man. You got the world by the tail. And you are going to take it to them. And you're going to be the winners, right? 
We all, you're supposed to, if you don't think that way, you're supposed to. You're supposed to think that way when you're 17, 18, 19 years old. Because especially if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you've got it all ahead of you. You haven't made your, your first post-high school mistake yet. I mean, you've got it all ahead of you, and it's wonderful. But in a year, who's telling you that you matter? And when you look in the mirror a year from now, what is, what is going to give you significance? I wrote here, once you enter post-school adulthood, post-high school adulthood, all of these questions become very real and very relevant. They may not sound that relevant to you right now because your identity is you're a high school graduate. But when you're not a high school graduate for the day or for the week and all the fanfare goes away, then what tells you that you're important? And who's telling you? So in Colossians chapter 2, there's this term in Christ, this phrase in Christ. That phrase, as you look throughout the New Testament, it occurs over 80 times throughout mostly Paul's writings and a few times Peter mentions it. But in Christ. So I want us to be thinking about that. But you know, Satan is there to dupe you, to deceive you, to trip you up. I was reading a book the other day and the author, uh, Terry Wardle, was talking about his daughter who had graduated and from college and went off to her first place, her first apartment, got a job, and was a little tight on funds. So she had this gown, this pretty expensive gown. This was almost 20 years ago, and eBay was young, but a thing then. And so she put the gown on eBay. And I don't, he didn't mention for how much she was selling it for, but it sold. And the person in that day wrote out a check and mailed her a check. When she got the check, she realized, oh, this is for, this is for twice the amount. They got this wrong. It's for twice the amount that they bought the dress for. So she emailed them and said, you spent me two times the amount. And they said, oh, thank you. Thank you for being honest. I just, I'm a little dyslexic and sometimes I mix it up and I must, must have mixed the numbers up. If you just send me, you know, whatever the difference is when you send the gown, I really appreciate it. So she wrote out the check and she packaged the gown and she sent it off. And a couple days later, she got notified by her bank that the check didn't clear, that it was a fraud, that she actually paid for the gown and shipped it to the person herself, and there was nothing that anybody could do about it except to tell her, boy, did you get scammed. She was duped and she was deceived. And as Paul is writing this to the people in Colossae of his day, he's telling them, don't get duped, don't get deceived, and here's how not to. So let's look at it in Colossians chapter 2. If you've got a handout, it's on there. If you don't, it won't be on the screen. So you'll have to look it up in your Bible or on your phone or somewhere or just follow along with me and just listen. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes to the believers, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. And for those at Laodicea, uh, another city in the area, and for all who have not met me personally, Then he continues, verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul just goes on with these, these superlatives, these superlatives, the full riches of complete understanding. 
That'd be really nice to know going into college that you have the full riches of complete understanding, that you know the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, verse 4. He says, I tell you this so no one may deceive you. Oh, there are going to be people trying to deceive me? So in in Luke chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And it says that a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that the spirit of God came like a dove and, and landed on Jesus. And it said Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 4, the first couple of verses, it says Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Like, well, that's a dirty trick. But, but even Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil and the devil is trying what he's been trying since Genesis chapter three. Did God really say, this is really what God's word, you really think God wants you to do this or live this way? Why, why don't you, Jesus, why don't you do this and, and, and I'll give you all the kingdoms, of the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus, as we know in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, during, the, during his temptations, he responded with the word of God. He says, no, no, God actually said this. And he got to the end, he got through those temptations, never succumbing to the deceit of the evil one. And Paul writes, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Okay, you guys may not know this because you're only 18. But those of us who are 28 or older know this. Fine-sounding arguments? That's all we have in our society. There are courses on developing fine-sounding arguments so that people will buy your product, right? I mean, that's, everything is a fine-sounding argument these days. How do you know, like, how do you know if it's true or if it isn't true? But there's one who is going to use the systems of the world to try to deceive us. And you guys are close to the front of the pack. Because if he can chop you off at the knees at your age, he dispenses of your threat to his evil plans for the rest of your lives. And Paul writes in verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He's not writing to to slackers. He's writing to people who love Jesus. And from what I've heard, you guys are in that category. You love Jesus. You're not not slackers. You're, you're, You're for Christ. You want to live for him. And Paul is delighting in that and the people he's writing to. So at any rate, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Oh, okay, well, good. Okay, Paul's back on track here. You guys are good. You're gonna be okay because you're, you're good. Then he goes on and he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Oh, so now you're going to have to deal with hollow and deceptive philosophy. Yeah, if you go to any but your homeschool or like the strictest Christian school, if you go to any other school, 
even sometimes strict, strict Christian schools, you, you might get somebody who's teaching hollow and deceptive philosophy. Philosophers are wise sayings, people that pontificate about why things are and why people are and the way they are. And there's, There is hollow and deceptive philosophy that's going to come at you that depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Okay, so it's some general stuff, right? What's the purpose of this? What is Satan's purpose? There's, there's, a, there's a target that he's shooting at with all of his deceit and all of his misinformation and disinformation and everything else that he can throw at you. Fake theology, it's called fake theology, fakeology, right? He is going to throw it in what his purpose is to divide you in your relationship with God, to sow doubt in your relationship with God, to get you to think, oh, following God, I mean, it, I mean, it was good for school. It was good for high school. It's good for my family. I know a little better. I mean, it's 2022. I mean, I can do like I, I, my friends are all doing, or my, this prof teaches me this, or I saw this, or I read this blog post, or I, I saw this on social media, and I, that, that sounds okay to me. So Satan's goal and his goal with all of us, by the way, is to sow doubt in our minds in terms of our relationship with God. Oh, God's, he's just up there. He's fine. He's fine with whatever. It's, it's, we can just do, we can just, hey, we're in a free culture. We can just live however we want to live. This is a free country and a free society. Nobody can tell me what to do. See, that's, that's very cultural. It's almost... So part of that that's a little patriotic, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's, we do value our freedom. And there's, with Satan, he'll always mix. He'll always mix with a lot of truth. He'll mix in the fake. He'll mix in the fakeology, the false teaching. It, it'll be presented in this, in this good package. It talks about Satan showing up, not as this guy with the, with the, with the tail and the pitchfork and the horns. No, no, he shows up as the angel of light. He, he presents things that are tasty and attractive. I mean, that, that's what you'll go for because you'll look and you'll say, like, like Eve said, we'll all say that. We'll say, oh, oh, it looks good. This, there's nothing wrong with this. This is, this is fine. I, I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. I can just, if for those of you who are steeped in your New Testament theology, yeah, I'm under grace. We're, we're, we're all good. We're good. It says somewhere in the New Testament that we have to be aware of Satan's schemes. Be aware of his schemes. I said a couple weeks ago, what he wants to do with a church like ours, is he'll say, well, if I can't get him to do the wrong thing, then I'll get him to argue and fight about how to do the right thing. Yeah, I'll get him to start arguing and to divide about the method. They'll agree on the mission. <laughs> but I'll get them to fight about the method. That'll get them off track. That they won't even get to the mission. They'll be fighting and divided so much about the method. Anybody ever see that in, in a church before? Any time in your life, right? In any city or any maybe family members a, a part of something like that? Any families like that? Where, where, where the devil wants to get the... the we got to be aware of his schemes. He wants to get in and he wants to divide. He wants to divide you from God. He wants to divide you from God's word. Oh, that's just, that's so old. 
This is like, we're in the 2020s now. I mean, really? Really you're going to live your life by this? And he'll cause you to question. And then in the body of Christ, in a family of believers, he'll want to divide you from one another. To take your eye off the ball and begin to divide from one another because, because he knows that you can pick off the weak link. You've seen those YouTube videos where the hyenas, right, they go after the, like, whatever they are with the horns. I don't know what they are. But they're weak and they're kind of running along and the one with the, the one with the weak leg, bam, boom, they're right in there and they all get it. It's bigger than the hyenas, but when they get like six or eight around them and they all start biting, right? If they can, if they can isolate one, so Satan knows, if I can get you divided and isolated and questioning, I got you right where I want you. These are, the, these are the kinds of things that Paul is referring to when he talks about this hollow and deceptive philosophy. All these ways that we can do our life without God, all these ways that we can think that we're pleasing to God apart from him, like somehow we're able to do it, somehow we're able to earn God's favor, somehow that our worth comes from what we do and who we are and not God who through Jesus gives us worth and value. So let's go on to verse 9, which is 9 and 10. I've got, if you have one of these, I've got it in red. It's like the, the meat of the passage, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, so depending on human tradition and the spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ, because his emphasis now is because, because in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. If anybody's ever told you that Jesus is not divine, that Jesus wasn't like God himself, he was just the small s, just the son of God, lowercase g. He was just the son of God. No, no, it actually says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So I would have to ask each one of you guys, are you in Christ? And when you say yes, I would then say that in Christ, you got everything you need. You are completely and totally accepted by God. Approved, stamped, approved by God. Given his righteousness, given forgiveness, Sin no longer has dominion over you because Jesus defeated it on the cross. He's going to talk about that in, in this passage. You're good. There's nothing else you need to do. Now you just get to live for God and for the good and the welfare of others to make this world a better place because you're already accepted by God. Imagine all the fullness of the deity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it all lives in bodily form in Christ. He, he came, walked the earth, and presented himself as the deity who created the earth. And then he died on the cross. Verse 11, in him, you, you were also circumcised 
with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now, you guys are 18, okay? Can we talk about circumcision for a minute? I mean, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit touchy. Um, this excess skin that is, that is cut away from the little boy, right? Because it's not needed. Um, and it became, it became a sign of the covenant. It became a sign of the people of God back in the day. So Paul uses this, this kind of funny, weird sized by Christ. Now this is really interesting. If you were to get into the original language in here, there's a couple different words. There's the word soma. Um, soma is a word for body. And it's just like you've all got your somas here, your whole body, your, your one body. I have a soma, you have a soma, okay? Another word that's used is the word uh, sarks or sarkas. It's the word for flesh, meat. Um, but it's the word for flesh that, that talks about the temptation that we experience in the flesh. Because we're, we're in this sinful flesh that, that experiences temptations and desires, some of them pure, a lot of them not pure, impure desires. So you've got your soma, and you've got the flesh, and then you've got the word hamartia in here, which is the Greek word for sin. And he says the, um, your, your soma of hamartia, your body of sin, is removed when Jesus puts off that flesh part of you. Because the flesh is basically the body of sin in us. In other words, in other words, this issue that you face with temptation and this propensity to sin, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he, he gets rid of that. In, in another passage, Paul writes in, in Romans, I, I believe it's chapter 6, he talks about how the old person, the old you, dies and gets buried and the new you is raised in the resurrection of Christ, we're raised as a new person. So the old person is gone, dead and gone. You've been raised, you've been regenerated as a new person in Christ Jesus. That's why sin no longer has dominion over you. It's as though you've been circumcised, that sinful flesh, Jesus put it off, it's gone. He cut it off, it's, it's, it's away from you now. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, Paul talks about that in Romans 6, and he alludes to it here, that baptism, in a sense, is a picture of our burial. And then being raised, Jesus' resurrection is, a, is promising us that we are raised to a new life as well. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh before you came to Christ, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This condemnation that we had because we're sinners, and we all are condemned because of our sin. All people from Genesis chapter 3 on, all people are condemned because of their sin. And salvation is only found through this guy. This guy. What does it say here? Verse 15 about this guy, Jesus. It says in verse 15, now think about this, he, a criminal's death on the cross. Not very fun. 
Any of us want to go to the electric chair, the gas chamber, or, you know, the, what do they call it, where they, they shoot you, right? I mean, anybody want to be put to death as a criminal in our society? I mean, most of our states have, have, have outlawed it because it's, it's so terrible. It's so egregious. Jesus, in his day, was treated as a criminal and was put up on a cross public display of humiliation, degradation, loss, defeat. But look what, in verse 15, the last verse that we're reading, look what it says about that. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, speaking of Satan and his rulers, he, Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. What do you do with power? You guys are going to get older. You're going to assume positions of power. What do you do with that power? Do you lord it over people? Do you leverage it for your own benefit and your own advantage? What did Jesus do with power? In John 13, the Bible says that Jesus realized that he was finishing his task. He was going to be going to the Father and that God had put all things under his feet, under his authority. In John 13, it says that he took his robe, he pulled it up, he fastened it, he wrapped it around himself, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. That's what he did with power. What did he ultimately do with power? Verse 15, having disarmed the powers, wait, wait, he's on the cross. He's the one getting defeated. He's the one who's going to die. Why does it say he's disarmed the powers and authorities? No, no, they were armed. They were defeating him. No, they weren't. They weren't. Because he was going to the cross to take all of our sins. You know, I look at all your faces. You're looking at me, my sinful face, and all of your sinful faces. We think about the sins that we've committed. All of our sins were were thrown on Jesus on the cross. And he, infinite God, deity, always existed forever in eternity past and eternity future. He, God, in bodily form, took our sins upon himself and died on the cross for our sins. And in that way, he disarmed the powers and authorities. And in dying on the cross, he actually switched it around. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the very thing that they believed would defeat him. It didn't defeat him at all. He actually defeated them. And when he died and went in the tomb and The thunder and lightning came, graves were open, people walked out of graves, the the veil in the temple was torn, there was an earthquake. I wonder if the powers and authorities, when the earth was quaking, was like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't think this worked. Uh Uh-oh. Can I say this word in church? Maybe they said, oh, crap. That's not really how we planned it to go. Something's going on here. This isn't right. It's not supposed to be like this. And three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead. And he defeats sin and death and hell. And that's, that, that is our only chance in life is to place our faith in the one of whom it says... And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Anybody in here feeling like they're not like, 
Their life isn't going all that great. They've got stuff that they just would like to do. It's not working out. feels like there's obstacles at every turn. The, the, the tires keep going flat. We keep running out of gas in life. You'd really like to get out of the driver's seat because it's not been going in a very good direction. If you want to be brought to fullness in your life, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. Why? Because in him, he's the creator. People think that, oh, Christianity, oh, I don't really want to do that because, I mean, I get it. I feel that way when I'm like in my culture and when I'm like tired and not thinking real clearly. I feel it. Oh, following God is like, We've got to sacrifice to follow God. No, we really don't. When we follow God is when we get filled up. When we live for God is when we actually succeed and are successful. When we take all of our lives and everything we have and we just say, okay, I am done trying to control this thing. God, I just give it all to you. I give it all to you. Okay, I'm bowing my knees to Jesus, the Lord, the one in whom all of God resides. I ask him to be my savior. I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need him to forgive me. I want to be a child of God. That's when real life starts to happen. As long as we're holding on to control of our lives, we never have our life. It's that guy in Proverbs who's clutching all of his money and not wanting to share it. And it says that it just It just drains through his fingers like sand. And before he knows it, he doesn't have anything. But the guy who gives it away just has more and more to give and more and more to share. When we give our lives to God, he gives us a life to live. And when we try to control our lives and hold our lives for ourselves, we have no life at all. So you guys in the front row, live for God. You are will be played on by the world and the devil will want to deceive you. Believe God rather than the world. The hollow, deceptive philosophies. How do do you live in Christ? On the back sheet there, I just got, um, I've got five things. I'm just gonna look at the first four. Just keep God in mind. So, so we are in Christ if our faith is in Jesus. How do we live in him? How do we actually like live that kind of a life? Just keep God in mind. Keep God in mind. All the Old Testament is filled with festivals and feast days and all these occasions. So God's telling the people, don't forget me, don't forget me, don't forget me. Because you will forget me. So keep God in mind. Prayer helps with that. Number two, get really familiar with his love, with his heart, with his plan. Get familiar with God. The scriptures help for that. Being around other believers helps with that. Prayer helps with that. Don't just like know what's in the Bible. Get familiar with God's heart for you and for your life. Because he wants good for you. So every time you think that you're giving up for God, oh, I can't go to that party because I'm I'm not going to have any fun, that's deceptive philosophy. Understand the heart of God. Number three, declare daily Jesus as Lord of your life. Are you the Lord? Are you the God of your life? Or is Jesus the God of your life? That's helpful. And then number four, make decisions in light of Christ's kingdom 
not cultural values. Cultural values says, well, it says a lot. What, is the, what does Jesus teach in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount? In all of his teachings to his disciples throughout the Gospels, where's the heart of Jesus? How does Jesus show how to use power and authority? Do that. Live that way. And God can bless you. I'm going to invite Pastor Trenton to come up. He has a few words to share, but I just want to remind you, it says somewhere in the book of Acts, I think, that there is no other name except the name of Jesus by which any of us can be saved. That's good news because without him, there is no salvation, not even in Pastor Trenton. So as you guys go, you have to follow Jesus, right? Don't be deceived. And for the rest of us, let's not be deceived into thinking that we're good, we're good, we've got time, we're okay. The full life, the rich life, the real life is found in our relationship with God. I said in the first service that I love this guy because he loves the Lord and he loves our students. He's the real deal and I appreciate you. Sometimes you tick me off, but... You should talk to my wife. Sometimes I tick you off, but no, seriously, I just want you, I just want you to know I respect this guy a lot. You have my respect and my trust, so share what you want I to. I appreciate that. Actually, can I borrow your sheet? Um, I don't know what I'd do with my other one. Probably wipe my tears and blew my nose with it. Um, there's a lot that I want to say. There's a lot to be said. Every graduating class um, has been awesome. Every one that I've ever had, it's not a lot. Um, but they've been awesome. And uh, they say not to pick favorites. So I won't because I don't want it to go to you guys' head. But as we're talking about these things here, of what it means to be in Christ what it means to follow God, to love him. These students represent it so well. Like I said, every graduating class has been amazing. Um, and don't think that because I'm reacting like this right now that I haven't loved all the other graduating classes or I'm and I've got a, a lot of love and, and excitement for the, the upcoming graduating classes, but it's like if somebody gave you $100 and you had no money, no money, $100, you're like, wow, thank you. That's awesome. That's what I get every year when we do graduation Sunday. But for some reason, this class feels like God was like, here's a million I feel rich in love, in joy, because of this class here. When I first got here, they were sophomores. That's underclassmen. It's the little guys. And yet, right away, every single one of them stood out. Every single one of them was a leader, 
has led well. I could tell they were serious about their faith. And they've done nothing but elevate that year after year. It's been so cool to see. And so again, I feel rich. I feel beyond blessed to be able to see and just watch them grow and mature and develop and shoulder their faith and to lead on their teams. I mean, this, this group represented here, it's not just anybody and everybody. I mean, we've got valedictorian-esque students. We've got some of the top competitors sports-wise. Female athlete of the year, actually. Let's go. We've got people who have been serving, not just saying, I love God, not just saying, like, you know, it's, it's good to, to be a good person, a good Christian, but who have stepped up and led the charge to actually help other people know Jesus in their um, youth group and on their teams. Um, we've got top chairs and band. Um, just in the community, they have really done an amazing job of knowing Jesus and making him known. Phenomenal job. So to say that I'm proud is an understatement. And to graduate is cool. I mean, that's great. And to have all the other success that they've had in their grades and in band and in drama and play and um, sports, all of that is really cool. But it's just like side stuff. It's the fact that they've done it so well in Christ, in him. And what's even cooler and why I feel so rich is because these kids didn't come out of nowhere. They didn't come from nothing. They didn't do all this by themselves. This is you guys. This is fruit of your labor. This is hours and hours and hours of parents teaching and correcting, training grandparents and other family members coming alongside the church body supporting and encouraging and helping teach and train the amount of adult lives that have been a part of growing these students into who they are is amazing and so thank you guys thank you I am proud of the church community that we are that I get to be a part of. I feel rich because of you guys' love, you guys' support, and what you have done to grow up this class. But it's not over. This is just one step in the journey. Your job isn't over. You guys have done great. Don't let it go to your heads. The enemy is coming. The enemy is real. He wants to pick you apart. He wants you to forget Jesus. He wants you to not be in Christ. And so we have to continue to pour into, to teach, to love on, to support these kids, all the kids coming later. Your job isn't over, but thank you for all that you have done. I'm so blessed to stand here today, 
celebrate with you guys, congratulate you guys. I'm not good at saying goodbye. Um, and one of the things that I'm really, really, really bad at is keeping up with people. Um, I tend to be pretty one track or one single focus, one track mind. And so whoever's right in front of me is, is, is who I'm trying to pour into and love and support. But know that I love you guys, that I am here. Know that you've got a sea of people in here that will continue to love you and support you, help you walk in Christ. Keep God in mind. Continue to keep God in mind. Thank you for displaying his love, his heart, and for following his plan. Continue to familiarize yourself with those things. Declare Jesus as Lord of your life. As you have done, continue to do it. And for all of you, the same thing. Same thing. You guys have done an amazing job. Keep it up. Keep going. Don't stop now. We've got a long journey, potentially. We've got a lot of work to do. Thank you for all the work you have done. Let's continue to grow up the next generation and send them out knowing that they are going to make a huge impact to the gospel. Thank you, guys. Okay, get out of here now. Deal. Okay. Pastor Bo and I have both been youth pastors in the past, and believe it or not, there was a girl in seventh grade 30 years ago who got so mad at me as her youth pastor, she didn't speak to me for a year. But Sarah, you watched me online today. Good job, kid. She's already graduated her kids. So you guys are going to have a relationship with Trenton for a long time, and that's fun. Hey, would you guys come on up and kind of spread out uh, on the front here, there's 11 of you. So maybe from the wall over that way, all the way out, just kind of spread out. And family members, if you're a mom or a dad or grandparents, you'd like to come and get, gather around these graduates. Yeah, you can go right now. You can go, come on up and just find a spot, spread out. And if you've had a, 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 an influence in their life, maybe you are a youth leader or you work with them when they're, oh, you need to spread out a lot farther than that. Yeah, get in your own space. If you'd like to pray with them, just come on up. And we're going to sing a song called The Commission. And it harkens back to Matthew 28 when Jesus gave the Great Commission to all of us. And while we're singing, these guys are going to just get, gather around the graduates and they're going to pray with them. And for those of you who maybe uh, maybe you don't know what your relationship with, is with Jesus, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to be saved this morning, if you want a relationship with God and you've just kind of been floating, while we're singing and while they're praying, call on the name of the Lord. Hey, Lord Jesus save me. I don't understand it all, but I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. 
that my sin separates me from you and I place my faith in you so that what you did for me on the cross will give me forgiveness and I want to make you my savior today. So while we're singing, you can, you can pray that prayer. If you'd like to talk with me or anybody else that you know here, after the service, we'd love to talk with you as well. But students, congratulations, and go ahead and why don't you pray for your students at this time.